0: Uh, Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the uh, second season of uh, ATAR Cloud and Coffee, the place for discussions on all things modernization and transformation. My name is Chris Oglesby with MorphWorks and my co-host.
1: Hey, I'm Terry Lee Holland, uh, Data Center and Cloud Hosting Services Division Head at NyWick LANT. If you heard our banter, there's an acronym for that. Uh, Good morning, everybody, and thanks for joining us.
0: Uh, before the introduction of our guests today, the platform is hosted under the ATAR Cloud and Infrastructure Pillar with the goal of bringing lessons learned and ideas to the ATAR community. Our focus will be a conversation about our guests' experience, past and present, executing modernization and transformation efforts. Uh, at the bottom of uh, your screen, there is a Q&A button, um, so feel free to enter in questions and we'll work those uh, questions into uh, our discussion. Uh, So now let's move on to uh, introductions. Today, our guest is uh, Ryan Hillard with uh, the Small Business Administration. Ryan, would you mind sharing a little bit about your uh, background?
2: Sure. So I am a systems developer that works for the Chief Information Officer, and I've been to SBA for five years. And during that time, I've spent the majority of my efforts moving our workloads into uh, different cloud environments and modernizing them so that they'll... Uh, run more efficiently uh, inside of those cloud environments. So I'm really excited to be here with Chris and Terry Lee and to share some of the hard mistakes I've made. So others can benefit from those lessons learned.
0: Thank you very much and uh, and welcome to the show. So Ryan has a uh, interesting story that uh, it, it sounds a little bit like a, a startup story, uh, but it, a little bit in reverse. and. Uh, uh, as he was, uh, as we were getting ready for the the, the call today, just uh, introducing each other, uh, he was uh, sharing this uh, story which involves a little bit of excitement, a lot of passion, a drive across country, um, and uh, and and having to share uh, uh, digital devices. So, I've, Ryan, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing because I think it gives perspective on um, you know on everybody's uh, experiences.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So in 2015, uh, right around Thanksgiving, I received a call uh, from one of my former bosses and he said, hey, there's this really exciting opportunity to go change government. And at the time I was super naive and I thought that was possible. Uh, So I took the call and uh, I interviewed with a couple of folks at the SBA and they, you know, the SBA has this really, really cool advantage as an organization in the world it has a holy purpose. Its holy purpose is to help small businesses succeed. And that's pretty much as American as you can possibly get. Everyone knows a small business owner, Uh, small business kind of powers our economy. So I was really excited about that because at the time I worked for LegalZoom and we were already big champions of small business. I understood the problem space very well. So I packed up all my stuff, I sold most of my stuff, I should say. Uh, packed up all my stuff, drove across the country from Austin, Texas. Thought I had to be there by like Monday at 8 a.m. to report. I was, I was uh, fear was inspired in me to be there by 8 a.m. to report for orientation. Literally drove all weekend. Super, this is Super Bowl Sunday. So I think like February 7th, uh, 2016. Got, got into DC, uh, saw the last half of the Super Bowl, literally threw everything we possibly could into our row home. Uh, and this, this will also tell you how naive we were. We, we like talked to the uh, landlord and said, so you've never had any mice problems, right? Like, oh no, we've never had any, any rodent problems or anything like that. We, we move in, uh, go down to the basement, open the first drawer. It's just chock-a-block full of mouse traps, right? And I think, oh, I'm going to get that landlord, right? Well, every real home in D.C. has had mice for longer than it has people. So, yeah, anyway.
0: They're not mice. They're rats.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. My, that makes you, if you think of them as mice, you can sleep at night. Right, exactly. Uh, but, but anyway, long story short, uh, reported for duty uh, the next morning and then was immediately given, you like, two days to figure out uh, what is DC and all this sort of stuff. And I went to HR orientation, came out of that and was given one laptop and one phone. Uh, and my new coworker and I were told to share those things uh, because the agency had a shortage at the time. And so literally the, the administrative assistant would bring us the paper uh, every morning so that whoever had the computer or whoever was making calls, uh, you know, the other person had something to do. So that first week I had this, like, what have I just done? I left this really fun job with this awesome high-performing team, you know, a great network, uh, an agile uh, software development practice. And now I'm doing this. Uh, and and so, uh, you know, I quickly got my bearings and uh, here we are five years later, uh, but, yeah, that was the start. It was a very scary start, Chris.
0: So so, S- so so the moral of that story is SBA has a startup organization as well.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's awesome. Um, but we still got you, right? Like five years later, <laughs> we still have you. <laughs> so one of the things, Ryan, that we talked about when we were uh, when we were having our prep call and I really liked the idea of the myth busting. And so I know that you have a list of of the myths that you want to bust, but I just think that would be awesome um, to just start chiming through. And and if you don't mind, Chris and I will kind of jump in with questions and we just encourage any of the audience to ask the questions as we go through this too. Um, What we talked about and and what you sent over, I was sitting there the whole time saying yes, every day. Yes. So I'm really excited to get into this and I don't think we're going to get through your list in an hour. I'm just going to say that. (laughs)
2: Okay, great. So yeah. I, I, I did think it would be fun as part of your Christmas episode to come and kind of be a Grinch about cloud and be like, okay, here's, here's, here's eight. And I did, I have both, maybe we'll get them down. Uh, we'll get through all of them because I've, i put them down uh, in eight different cards. I actually wrote them down. Uh, so, oh. so you, you, you came prepared. <laughs> that's right. So, so I have so this is the eight cloud myths of Christmas. Uh, oh
0: impressive this is is like an after-school special we're definitely doing this at the wrong time
2: i i know i was going i was going to like draw a poster with my daughter uh you know and put and hang it up but i ran out of time last night so uh anyways myth number one and these are things that i hear in the federal uh space and i always sit back and i go what are these people reading? <laughs> because they are, you know, these ideas are so far from my actual experience. So that's why I'm calling them myths. Myth number one, the cloud or clouds are interoperable, right? And the idea here that I keep hearing from people is, oh yeah, I want this workload to run on AWS uh, just as well as it will run on Azure. And if AWS goes down, we'll just switch it over to Azure, no problem, right? Because these these cloud things are interoperable. And I think the reality is that uh, people saying that have never done any actual work in either AWS, Azure, or the other big one, uh, GCP, right? Google Cloud Platform. Uh, because one, their service offerings are very different. Um, we're gonna talk about another myth, but um, they're, they're very different. And you know I'm just gonna use an example. AWS offers the simple email service, SES, which is a transactional email service you can leverage if you're building a custom application to send email like customer sign-up email, you know, uh, password reset, uh, notification email, that sort of stuff. In Azure, um, they point you to a third-party vendor called SendGrid, right? They don't have a native service for transactions email. Yeah, I'm sure they will soon. They, they probably will announce it right after I uh, say this on, on the podcast, right? Um, and, and in the same way, neither of the, uh, either AWS or Azure, really have anything comparable to a big data warehouse-ish thing like Google has with BigQuery. So, so when we think about like, hey, you know, we want our data warehouse to be just transportable. One, that's like the most insane myth I've ever heard. But uh, we want our data warehouse to be transportable. There is not a one-to-one offering across the three major leading cloud providers. So the cloud is not interoperable.
0: So how do let's let's dig in on this a little bit. So how do you help with what I would say is is a need? Which is portability, right? Because I think, you know, that there's there's always been this challenge that 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 you know, uh, the the contracting community and the 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 government organizations or commercial organizations navigate, right? Well, we want you to take it. Oh no, we want it. You know, it's a it's a it's a colo, it's a goco, it's a coco. I mean, you, you go through all of these. You know, it it is a pendulum, right? But you're you're always navigating these things, and I think one of the big keys that isn't quite honestly discussed enough is the portability, right? How do you create the portability of what you're doing? Not necessarily the interoperability, right? So how do organizations really kind of look at it from a portability standpoint?
2: Yeah, so so I'm, so, gosh, this is going to be painful I think for some people. <laughs> uh, the, the way to maintain portability is to focus on the infrastructure as a service or the lowest level of maturity offerings from cloud providers. So virtual machines, full stop. (laughs) Virtual machines and network, right? Um, The only other additional thing I would would say is possible would be object storage. So because S3, Amazon's object storage service came out uh, like a generation before anything else, it actually defined the space. So you'll see vendors that say, like, hey, we have an S3 compliant API, meaning their API looks enough like S3s that you, you know, there is possibly that idea of interoperability or inter, you know, interchangeability. If you go beyond those things, Chris, uh, you will become less and less portable, right? So I wish I wish I had like a light board and I could draw a sliding scale, but as you go. As you become more mature in your adoption of cloud services, and I'm defining maturity as um, uh, low maturity being infrastructure as a service, mid being uh, platform, and then of course, the end one being kind of serverless or software as a service. As you climb that maturity ladder, you're also climbing a lock-in ladder, right? And this is one of those things where it's like, okay, we wanna do all this really advanced stuff. Well, that's great but you are sacrificing portability and you need to be really aware of that. Now that's in 2021. Um, One prediction I would make is that three to five years from now, um, there's going to be a whole nother tier of vendors that just run stuff on top of of major cloud providers that, that major cloud providers do, you know, compute network and storage, but they only use them for that. And you will be able to um, actually achieve that that long-lusted after dream of portability or interoperability. Uh, and some of those vendors, I'll just call out like Snowflake, um, Supabase, uh, there's uh, serverless, the serverless framework, serverless.com, they just released a, their own serverless cloud, which feels a lot like AWS under the hood, right? It's like, you're using a lot of words that remind me that you're running on AWS right now, right? Um, but but um, those vendors will, I I think, inside of three to five years, fulfill that promise. Not today, though.
1: I felt like there was an elephant in the room that we weren't saying, which was uh, the vendor lock-in piece, right? Like, I, we really see that that's something that, everybody asks, how do we not become dependent on a vendor? And it's like, well, you don't do the things that you're projecting to do, you know? Like, and I think it comes down to one of the topics that we've talked a lot about um, is like the strategy piece um, is kind of missing because the strategy I think would help drive from the government standpoint where we're going and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. So, uh, but yeah, vendor lock-in, it's gonna be interesting. But I, I would love to see what you said in three to five years. I would love to see that be a thing. Uh, I think yeah. that would help us out a lot.
0: So in three yeah. to five years, we need to have you back. Yeah. We'll document the predictions
2: and see. <laughs> I was about I was so Terry Lee. I was about to say that I was about to say. The nice part is this is now recorded and on the internet, so it'll be available forever <laughs> to make me look like a fool in three to five <laughs> years when I'm wrong. Um, the you know the the thing about the kind of one thing you just said, which gets elicits a strong reaction from me, is this concept of strategy, right? Um, like going to the cloud is not a strategy. Um, and uh, right. <laughs> yeah, you, you, I, I think, I think federal enterprises, the different federal agencies, they need to have good business reasons to adopt cloud technology. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes it feels like they don't. They're just like Cloud forward, right? It's one
1: hundred percent to the cloud.
2: Yeah, and and so I'm I'm so Chris because I'm one of because I have that five year startup story with the SBA. I've gotten to do a lot of fun things. One of those is I was the IT specialist asked to go document some of the agency's data centers, right? And I can tell you that one data center I walked into had water sprinklers. Uh, running above their servers and had more uh, combustible material in the data center than I have in my garage, right? It was, it was just like stacks and stacks of cardboard boxes behind uh, racks. So we as a, you know, we're not good at data centers. We, the federal enterprise, uh, and I feel pretty good about saying that generally. I could say that specifically about the SVA, but, um, and so that concept of cloud adoption so that we just aren't managing the data center itself, uh, has some value actually without having a business strategy. But then once you start talking about advanced technology, um, managed databases and, um, serverless technology, which is what I do a lot of, um, you have to be cognizant of the fact that the value is not in staying portable, because you won't be. All
0: right. Are right, we moving on to? Oh, well, we we need to get a, a little taste of the French pressed coffee to keep your keep yourself going.
2: <laughs> yeah, is is now the time to share? Um... <laughs> okay before you share
0: number two, yeah, why don't yeah. Uh, why don't you share your uh, uh, your your coffee story? Because um, hey, had we had we had you last year, it wouldn't have really worked
2: yeah exactly i couldn't i couldn't i wouldn't or maybe maybe it was because of us that you uh you know. <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't have even qualified for this podcast a, a year ago um so i so i uh, recently had my second child and i just started drinking coffee as a result and my coworkers tell me i'm insane uh because you know it's like how did you get through college without coffee that's nuts um I've gone on a journey, a coffee journey too. Uh, and my coffee journey started with like Mr. Coffee, uh, and, uh, you know, garbage Folgers. Uh, and now I'm, now I'm very snobby. And I drink only French press from, this is actually a Texas pecan uh, because I'm a Texan. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. That may actually take me down a rung in terms of coffee snobs. They're like, oh, flavor. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know that that really fits, right? (laughs) Maybe that. But that is. You are from Austin, right? The Austin area. That's where you moved up here from, right? Yep. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's kind of Texas, but you know, it's it it has a little little uh, you know extra uh, Silicon Valley in it.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yes, I'm drinking French press coffee. Four minutes only, sir. Uh, right.
0: Uh, ground to uh, what?
2: Uh, what grain level? Yeah, I don't know. I can't tell you how many microns the the grounds right.
1: are. <laughs> no, you're not quite snob level yet. Then. <laughs> All
0: right. That's the next. That's the next stage. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Uh, uh, so we we'll make sure we have time to get through your myths and predictions. Uh,
2: myth number two. Okay, myth number two is the cloud is fungible, right? Um, and I kind of already talked about this a little bit, so we don't have to hover on this one. But this idea that all the cloud offerings are the same uh, is just—it's just not true. Um, and you know, one one cloud is not created equal to another cloud. And one of the anecdotes I can tell you about this, without mentioning particular vendors, is we—you know—we were having a performance issue with one of our applications and. We boiled it down to a network problem, but an internal network problem uh, using this particular cloud vendor. And we benchmarked, we bet to see, like, hey, what, what's going on here? And we were getting different physical speed than was being advertised. Well, we went back to the vendor and we said, hey, you, you're saying you get, you know, let's say 10 gigabit uh, inside of your network. And we're, we're clearly not getting that. And we're, this is kind of strange um, problem we're having, and they kind of came back and were like, "Yeah, you're not going to actually physically get that, right?" And uh, so, so there's this also this idea of like architecture, right? Marketing architecture, um, and you see this on these cloud these uh vendor pages and I, I will pick on aws here because i spend all of my time in aws right i'm most of my workloads run in aws but uh the most dangerous button in the world is the deploy with cloud formation button right it's like on the tutorial page it's a little gold button it's just the right color some marketing person like nailed the hex code on that button right because it just makes you want to press it and you press it and it's magical because you have all of these cloud resources spun up, right? All of, the, all of a sudden. Money, Fantastic. Money, 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 but also like, do you understand what you just did when you press that button? Uh, and what is one of our uh, cloud infrastructure leads likes to ask the question, what do your day two operations look like? Because you like ran through this tutorial, you spun up all this infrastructure, you're doing stuff, that's great, but how are you gonna maintain it in the future? Um, and so, you know these things are not uh, fungible across clouds, and uh, neither are they um, neither are they portable. Uh, so that's that's myth number two. Nice, very nice.
1: Yeah, I like that one. All right, let's go to number three.
2: Okay. Lucky number the- three. I like this one because it strikes uh, deeply at the heart of cloud and coffee. You guys have discussed this a lot, but the cloud is more expensive. The cloud is more expensive. So, so I, I watched a couple of episodes in prep for this call. And um, one of the things that I think you guys talk about very well is that the cloud can be more expensive for you um, if you aren't thoughtful about your migration. But one of the nuances that I wanted to tease out of that idea is in some circles, that's been generalized into, hey, the cloud is just more expensive and uh, you're know, you you're going to have to run a smaller workload, let's say, than you were used to on-prem in order to uh, achieve cost efficiency. And uh, I think the problem there, the thing that I want to tease out is that if your operator are poorly set up on prem, and you migrate those into a cloud environment, and suddenly it feels like your cloud, you know, your cloud costs are more expensive than your on prem ones were. What you're actually seeing is the fact that you weren't good at operations, right? Um, and and so the cloud lets you do things like better, faster, stronger, um, and that includes bad things, right? So if so, so if, you know, if you have really poor form on the bench press, I have no idea why I'm using weightlifting. I don't even lift weights, right? Like I'm a skinny nerd. But if you have poor form on the, on the bench press, um, and you go and you get on a Smith machine with rails where you can just, you know, you don't have to control the weight. And you can just push as hard as you possibly can, which is kind of like the cloud. You can get hurt way faster. Um, then if you force yourself to have good form and build those supporting muscles and in, in, you know, in our cloud analogy, do things like revisit the size of a workload, is it running efficiently? Have we provisioned our VMs on-prem to be the correct size? Are they using the right amount of CPU and memory? Uh, you know, if you get into the cloud and every, your solution to every problem is, okay, just double the size of the VM. Uh, yes, it will be more expensive. Absolutely.
0: So I want to talk about this and tie it a little bit. You know, we we talk a little bit about the strategy, but you you can have the strategy and then get get in into a, a into a mode, right? To where you're you're in that that operational mode, um, things are going great, everything's evolving. How do you make sure that you be, because it at at some point, whether it be a personnel change, whether it be uh, you know a, a new mandate how do you make sure as as a, as an agency because again you know a lot of it is your, your technology we're obviously you know as a company we're more consultative so we're helping try to try to help make that those decisions better but but there is a point at which the organization gets into a mode right and 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 you get government or commercial you you get into a mode and that mode all of a sudden has now bad habits right And all of a sudden, those bad habits become a problem. How do you have a a a, a refresh? Like, how do you take somebody that is mission focused? Like, hey, we did this three years ago, you know? Because what's happening? And we've talked about this a lot, but this is a different approach to it, right? Because how do you make sure your processes are where they need to be? Like, you know, that you're you're not stagnant, that you are evolving with the technology that is available. So that way it isn't, and then the next time you have to really kind of fix something, it's a big modernization effort
2: for For medium to large organizations, this is the lottery question, right? How, how do you build a high a high performing team? Uh, and how do you maintain one? The, uh, I have so like Chris, I literally like <laughs> play, I, I literally lay in bed at night and stare at the ceiling. I can't sleep because I think about this problem, right? I think that you use it. So I'm addressing the federal program managers out there who are hopefully listening to this. You as a program manager need to think of your organization like a human. How do humans build? They built them very slowly over time by layering them on, right? So if I wake up, I'm a runner. If I wake up one day and say, I wanna run a marathon someday. The way that I actually get to that point is I uh, like walk a mile on day one, right? And then I like go buy a pair of new sneakers. And then I like next week, I'm gonna start walking two miles and then I'm gonna walk three miles. I see this critical mistake being made in organizations where they wanna do everything all at once really quick. Uh, and And this is because there's a lot of like fervor and excitement around cloud that is the most surefire way to fail. Uh, it's to say, okay, you know what, we've got 50, we've got 50 IT professionals, you know, 50 federal uh, IT specialists, we're going to have 50 projects, or better yet, we're going to have 150 projects because each one of you GS 14s or GS 15s is capable of managing at least three projects. Uh, and, and all of these are going to move, uh, you know, I've, I've never actually heard this, this is all hypothetical. Uh, this is the know, grid. Yes, exactly. and each. And each one of you is going to move one of your applications, you know, to the cloud by Thursday. Um, and, and that's like, that's like asking someone who's never run a marathon to wake up and run, uh, a 10 K on day one of training in their old sneakers when they're dehydrated. Uh, you, you know, you, you're going to puke at mile three, uh, and you're going to uh, retire and never, run again or never try and run a marathon again. Uh, So I know I didn't like directly address your question, but uh, I think the trick is to really, if we could boil it down to an axiom is to start small and do small things and build that habit and then uh, build on top of that habit, right? And and get better and better and better. the, the advantages that the federal enterprise have are that one, you have a whole bunch of people who are gonna be around for a long time, right? Federal employees work for the federal government for a long time, so they have that advantage. And then two, uh, almost every federal agency has purpose. It has like a really strong, cool purpose in the world. And uh, that's hard to find in some private things. I know a guy who does the programming for like, the, like uh, your like Whirlpool microwave, right? And um, sometimes he has like a hard time going into work because he's like, okay, I'm gonna like this optimize. Um, like good good for him, uh, but like I get to wake up and think about how we're going to offer better business counseling to new entrepreneurs and how we're gonna turn that into a digital service and run it better in the cloud. Like I get to think about that in the morning and that's like, it's like, I don't need coffee for that. You know, I don't need coffee to get excited about my work day.
0: And, and us entrepreneurs, uh, thank you for that.
1: <laughs> I'll also say that uh, the federal government should have you talk to people about coming to work for us, because that was quite the speech there about coming and working and having the purpose. Because I think that is what a lot of it's about, and it does get lost. But I really like what you said about, like, starting small and growing from there. Like, um. We talk a lot about uh the technologies that we want to use but we don't talk about changing the culture to get us there and we want to push the culture top down because there are you know i work military branches you know we work top down (laughs) and that's not how it works and you know it's it is refreshing though because we are starting to see that like small organic efforts are starting to build up and so you know, I really think this is where like some of your other myths kind of come into play with like the, how we're moving forward with these technologies too, is, you know, like it's, we're, we're taking care of some of the smaller things, like you said, but now we're going to get into the bigger, you know, I'm going to point back to strategy. It's the strategy discussions. And I think like your next set of um, myths are going to lead us into that pretty well.
2: So one of the I'll try so Terry Lee, I'll try not to get too starry-eyed here uh, with because I am I've I like pretty patriotic, but uh, one of the cool things about cloud is we are rapidly getting to this long promise point where we can actually think about code and systems that are only business logic, right? That means so so for some legacy folks, that's scary. Because they're they're let's say they were a network engineer, and now we're we don't really need to think about networks, right? Like I don't care about the CIDR range that this thing runs inside of in the subnet, or you know, like. But for most people who are really mission driven and purpose purpose inspired, this is really neat uh, because now you can spend less and less of your time worrying about commodity things. And more and more of your time worrying about how you're going to actually solve a problem. Uh, and you know that's why I'm such a a bull uh, when it comes to cloud technology and advanced cloud technology, like serverless technology, uh, because it lets you spend more of your time thinking about real problems.
0: Yeah, I think before before uh, to do a plug for one of our working groups, the cloud migration working group has recently been working on skill gaps, right? And I think, one of the things that gets discussed in there is everybody wants to focus on the technical skill gaps and i think what's happening is you know the kind of the uh, the the old adage of you you still need to have those management gaps or you need to have the you still need to have those people skills but right now we're really trying to push everybody to you know specialize and so you know as that you know that um they, they had a webinar recently they're working on a white paper I mean that is something to think about if you are in a technical role. The ability, number one, to you know to communicate, the ability to understand, the the ability to, you know, to kind of have that that self awareness of hey, this is a problem we need to you know we need to look at from a process, from a skill standpoint, not just how do we solve it with technology.
2: So so uh, I so I've navigated this problem with several organizations in their agile transformations, and. The, the role of a traditional manager who sometimes feels left behind by an agile transformation because you know your your engineering manager who used to do things like write tickets and tell people what to do. um, Is in this really cool role if you can get them to see it of how they're going to develop their staff. And how are they going to give them the skills they need to? They, they may finally have time in their week for an individual one-on-one with each of their staff members, which which every manager should do, uh, like full stop, right? Um, their direct reports. That that's hard to do in the federal enterprise, which is very Terry Lee to your point, very hierarchical, and wants wants things to flow in a certain direction, right? Um, the the most successful folks building systems today are doing it in a way of decentralized decision-making. So they've taken those formerly hierarchical column-like structures and they've said, you know, that person at the top, so I, so I, uh, I used to, uh, Draw this thing called what I called the leadership trough of despair. I'm going to try not to go down that. I, I'm the Grinch, but I'm not. I'm not that <laughs> Grinchy. I'll try not to go down that road too dark, too deeply. But what that concept describes is that the further you get away from your end user, the less capable you are of decision making. That uh, that is impactful, right? So um, at at an organization I used to work for, I call that the director, which is directors have no idea what their staff do, right? Uh, Unless they just go and actually work side by side with their staff. Uh, But that's really hard for a federal enterprise to say, hey, directors, you're no longer, if you're doing your job, your job is to build a system and create an environment where all of your really smart people can make decisions for you, right? For your systems. Um, and so like if your front end web developer and your UX UI designer are building a system and they're collaborating with your DevOps engineer, uh, to figure out how that system is going to run in the cloud, uh, they should never need to talk to you, director. Uh, and that feels real ooky for a lot of traditional managers, uh, because they want to know what's going on. They want to be in all the meetings and, you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. And, um, but that's where they're going to be successful. And. I've, I'm a zealot when it comes to high trust, uh, and uh, I'm happy to you know come at me, come at me, bros. Uh, I'm happy to uh, happy to have a fight with anyone uh, or a logical discussion, uh, spirited logical discussion about why you should be pushing to the absolute maximum uh, the amount of trust you're you're giving to your your individual contributors and your team members.
1: So much of that just really hit home, and I really wish—I hate to say this now—that you had painted your face green, because I really think that would have just carried your message.
0: Do you have a dog by the chance named Max?
2: <laughs> right, uh, pulling a sleigh. Right, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I—you know—I've been known to do crazy stuff like that. So,
0: uh, so, so that worked. one was all off of cloud is expensive. I think <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't think we made it past the third myth.
2: Yeah, I told yeah. you yeah you did Terry Lee you predicted it I'm staring at my sad <laughs> stack of cards here yeah, yeah. But I'm loving all it right here we go we're
1: not having these discussions enough so this is all good stuff
2: okay this might is have super to have a part two yeah yeah if if you'll have me
1: um, <laughs> as long as you come and cast you with your stuff green face and everything
2: I've I've yeah I've Several times toyed with. I told you I was patriotic. I've several times toyed with the idea of a red, white, and uh, blue mohawk. So uh, maybe I'll come with that. Um, so you cannot adopt the cloud casually, right? And you hear this. Uh, you hear this sometimes with um, training efforts, where someone says, "Oh yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna." I mean, guess what? We're gonna start doing brown bag lunches. And uh, yeah, that's how you guys are gonna become cloud engineers. <laughs> whoa this is crazy i mean to to operate in the cloud um, as an engineer means you now have to uh take a bunch of distributed disciplines right like network engineers and um uh you know people who maintain servers what 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 did you call those in the in the old days i don't even know um and and you and you put them to yeah and and you know you're, and you're combining them this concept of a of an SRE a site reliability engineer right who has to be has to like really know how networks work really know how um, VMs work and sometimes like Windows VMs and Linux VMs you name it and also has to have this appreciation for new cloud concepts um, like uh, you know. How does, how do these things scale? What is, what does it look like to develop an auto scaling group? Um, do things scale in as well as out? Cause sure your workloads can grow as demand does, but. When workload, you know, when demand shrinks, does your workload also shrink back in? Uh, This concept of elasticity, which is very much a day two thing. No one thinks about that um, out of the gate. So no, you cannot, my my, uh, fourth myth is you cannot adopt the cloud casually. Um, If you plan on doing that as a program manager in the federal government, you should probably set aside um, at least, at least 20% of your engineer's time Per week, so an entire day, right? That's like eight hours, um, an entire day for them to just skill, just run through labs, just do hands on work uh, every week. Uh, and no, that doesn't mean you can schedule meetings with them on that day. Uh, and no, that doesn't mean uh, that they can do other things in the background. You know, they need to be in a dark room uh, with their favorite coffee, uh, building that mental model. That they'll need to, to be successful. So that's number four. But I think that's
0: you know that that really kind of feeds off of everything that we just. The, the cloud is too expensive, right? I mean, I think it's it's one of those things where if if you didn't get that point uh, through through the the uh, the other myth, you know, it, it is key, right? And and I think one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show is the new speed, right? The new speed is a uh, a new problem, and that problem is okay, here's what we're going to do. Oh my God, you know, by the time we started executing, the, the technology has changed, right? The, the, the environments have changed. Sometimes the companies don't even exist anymore by the time you, you, know, by the time you move through it or they've been acquired. And so I, I think it, you know, it, it, the, the feed is perfect into the, you know, don't adopt it casually because it, it really is that, that understanding of you need to focus on what you're trying to achieve. You need to focus on the processes. And then what is the best way to, to use the technology to effectively deliver those processes?
2: And I have a really, I, I think I have a, re- you know, it's, it's rare to have a good, a really, really perfectly fitting story, but I have a, I think a great story to tell about that. So last year uh, at the height of the global pandemic, uh, Congress, the president and the American people called on the Small Business Administration to help with economic relief. And they did that through programs like the Paycheck Protection Program. Well, the SBA was situated to respond to that demand, that requirement, because it had adopted cloud technology. If we had not adopted cloud technology, we would have still been ordering servers like today and the Paycheck Protection Program would have been a failure. And an example of what I mean precisely is we were given the requirement to stand up a portal for small community focused lenders to accept and be able to place paycheck protection program loan applications so these are the banks you drive by on your way to work right that you don't recognize on the news these are not the banks of America right these are the small banks that can't afford uh, big IT departments so they don't integrate with our big loan directly. So we hired, when we were given this requirement, we hired a team from AWS professional services. And that team came, they literally like parachuted in, built an application for us running entirely on top of serverless technology. So in AWS terms, that's Lambda, uh, SQS, DynamoDB, um, S3, uh, a couple of other things like CloudFront. And we, Hired a contracting team, Chris, over the weekend, literally Saturday night, um, did usability testing over the weekend, modified Sunday night, um, and did final sign off by Monday so that the program could go live and that small community lenders could process things. That's a different level of speed by several orders of magnitude that uh, the SBA was not used to prior to last year, right? We did it, we built an application in a week. That application, over the course of like five months, took 140,000 loans, moving, I think, around $15 billion and saving, according to our heuristics, like in the millions of numbers of jobs uh, level, right? So I joked to the team, like, hey guys, you're done, like, you've peaked in your careers, you're never going to do a week of work right? These like 12 people like, you're never going to do a week of work that is magnified into this much good in the world ever again. Uh, So, you know, go ahead and retire. But (laughs)
0: That's it. That's a mic drop situation right there, if I've ever heard one.
2: And, 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 And the cool part is like, as a program manager, I did like a very little bit of work to help that, right? I was I helped sign off on the ATO itself. Uh, I helped evaluate the architecture, and I actually got to do some of the usability testing, which was totally crazy, uh, right? It was essentially a, a, it essentially reduced down to spearfishing, uh, and by that I mean we were spearfishing our own customers, right? So like a, watch this thing, and a, I'm really good friends with this banker in Ohio, because he was the first one to place his thing. Uh, I literally just sent him a thing. We got his information. I called him on the phone and said, Hey, I know this is a crazy call. My name's Ryan Hillard. I work for the SBA. Can I talk to you about your experience using our new system? Right. And that was like, that was done in a week uh, and and was a very successful program. Not possible without cloud technology. Um, also, the lots demand of, for lots that
0: of, lots of things that need to go into that one. So, yep.
2: yep. Uh,
0: great great story about uh technology and process and understanding
1: yeah uh and thank you for being a part of it um you know one of the things that you keyed on though was like your role as a pm and then we had talked about training the engineers um to not go down the path of cloud in a casual way but like you know one of the things that we talked about uh before as well was um having a good PM in that position, I think, to guide that adoption and to bring it all together. So can you talk a little bit about like your role in that? Because I do think we struggle with a from a leadership perspective of, you know, engineers, we want engineering, right? Um, and we have, you know, managers that know how to like report status <laughs> or, you know, put the brief together. Um, but I think we're getting into a point where there needs to be a really good blend of those, um, those skills. And it sounds like you have them. So enlighten us on, on what that looks like, please.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't think I have the, uh, you know, that, that's very flattering, um, Terry Lee, so I appreciate you. But the, I, actually, one of the things I struggle with is not being a two in the weeds program manager. Uh, I think an effective program manager in the federal enterprise uh, it, it, in the IT space has to do two things well, which is one, you have to, you have to continuously rub elbows with industry to understand what's out there, and what you can leverage to your advantage. And this is this is not a, one of my official myths, but I kept hearing when I first started in the federal government, oh, well, you can't go talk to those people. We can't, we can't know what's happening out there, right? Like that's, um, you better call it market research, right? Um, and th- that's that's crazy. Uh, make an effective technology decision if you don't know the alternatives and what's out there and what's available. So. Number one, you have to continually keep your ear to the ground and you have to understand how industry is changing even outside of the federal space. And then number two is you have to have hard technical skills. Uh, For some reason, the federal government has seemingly lobotomized itself over the last 30 years. And uh, a lot of federal program managers think that their only two responsibilities are to uh, hire contractors and maintain a budget. Uh, And my question to all of those people is, how do you judge the quality of your contractor's work if you don't know what they're doing? Right? So uh, and an example, I would say is, if you're, if your program is going to adopt cloud technology and maybe you're going to consider an advanced practice like writing your infrastructure as code, which you probably should consider if you're if you're deep into a cloud journey, you need to write some infrastructure as code. <laughs> as a program manager Um, and you need to do that because now you'll understand both the powerful aspects of why you adopt something like that and also the pain points, why you wouldn't do it. And you need to do that. You need to be hands-on as a program manager. So number two is you need to have hard skills and you need to continually be building those. Um, And uh, otherwise you don't understand the plight of, of the people you're managing. And you got to do that. So.
0: All right, so we're we're uh, we're we're now getting close. <laughs> we might, we literally might have to have a part two. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight, go. <laughs> and actually, there is an opening the uh, the day before Christmas Eve on the twenty third. <laughs> so it might be fitting for the Grinchy approach.
2: I was going to say, how dare you invite the Grinch to Christmas Eve? Uh, you're, you're asking for trouble there. So what uh, are we okay. on number five? Yes, we're on number five. So the cloud is just containers. Uh, it's just a bunch of containers, right? And uh, if, you, if you know Docker, you know, it's all just the same, whatever. And this is lightly touching on the fungibility and interoperability mess as well. But people specifically say this, it's just containers. Um, and it's not, um, if you really want to have a hard technical discussion about that, I would point folks to two different two different things, which is you should go look at a vendor called Cloudflare and their use of V8 isolates um, to run their their, uh, Cloudflare workers uh, service, which is their function as a service. So like Lambda or Azure Functions or Google's Cloud Functions, Um, go look at that or go look at AWS's Firecracker project and how they run Lambda. Um, because like, on a hard technical level, everything is not just containers. So I want to address those people are like, no, 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 it's really all just containers. Um, and then secondly, though, like, obviously, the service offering is much bigger than that right object storage uh, API gateway content delivery networks like it's a to absurdity. It's just containers. So. all
0: right. I'm going to, I'm not going to dive into that one because I I think that is its own, <laughs> I, you know, because I do think there is a, okay, well, let me, let me, let me get you get to the next myth because otherwise we'll be, we will, we will have a part two.
2: <laughs> and, then <laughs> can, and, and then we can, and then we should dive in. Yeah. So the next one is, I think we can also just state and leave there, but I'm happy to discuss as well, which is you're going to the cloud. So you should adopt Kubernetes. Uh, so Kubernetes is a, um, kind of, I'd say level two um, uh, technology for container orchestration, right? Uh, and it was built by the good folks at Google and it has somehow taken by storm the, the DevOps and the infrastructure engineering community uh, over the last couple of years, despite the fact that it's really, really hard. It's like really difficult. And the reason why it's really difficult is because it's doing a bunch of really cool advanced things, but most folks don't need it. Right? So the good, why did the folks at Google uh, create Kubernetes? Well, they created Kubernetes because they run thing, well, things like Google search, right? And Google search, uh, it has a scale that none of us can imagine at this point. Um, and so, do you have, so the question you should ask yourself is some consultant has showed up and said, we're gonna adopt Kubernetes, is do you have Google level scale? Do you need Kubernetes for these things? Um, the truth is, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll hold up this project cause it's dear to my heart, but it's now kind of dead that like Docker swarm was the alternative file, And it was from Docker Inc directly and it was their container orchestrator. Um, It's really easy to work with, it had a good set. uh, But for a lot of other reasons, it didn't succeed. Um, It was a lot easier to adopt something like Docker Swarm. You have to build a whole practice around Kubernetes if you're going to adopt Kubernetes. So it's not that you shouldn't, it's just that you should be aware of the expense of that. And it's not a default thing. Uh, One of the things we've never done, we we don't use Kubernetes at the SBA and we've serviced really, workloads like PPP and idle and um sba.gov I mean sba.gov was tweeted out by the president uh which is like the sweatiest moment in any IT professional's life right sba.gov lives on uh infrastructure that I work with Uh, and we didn't we our our system did scale under load it scaled to be like 300 percent larger than it normally is Um, from that Twitter traffic, we went from 3,000 to 90,000 concurrent users in like five minutes. Um, We didn't use Kubernetes, like, are you gonna, is the president tweeting out your website or your web app, right? Like, so I I don't think in the federal workspace there's anything bigger in terms of rush demand. Uh, So anyways, that's my, uh, that's number six, adopt. You don't necessarily have to adopt Kubernetes. All right. Number seven. Okay, number seven. So I, uh, I actually. So number seven is really about this idea that you, you have to have advanced practices uh, if you adopt the cloud, right? And uh, this isn't really a myth per se, but more me trying to help people instrument which advanced practices they need to adopt. So, and I, and I, I tease this one talking about infrastructure as code. So, and Terry Lee has touched on this a little bit, but if you're, you know, if you're not if you're not good at change control on premises, then you don't necessarily need to adopt some advanced practice like infrastructure as code to help you track changes in the cloud. Until you already get good at change control, just independently, that's a, that that is a that problem is orthogonal to technology, right? Um, and so you know, be and because we have a little limited time left, like be be cognizant of your advanced practices that you're adopting and which ones are really hard to train uh, versus which ones are. Your organization is capable of. So, if you have an army of Windows system administrators, and you're saying, "Hey, we're going to go," you know, declaratively, uh, we're going to, and you know, this is not, a, this is a, this is not a hypothetical. Every federal agency, I think, has an army of winners, right? Um, if you're going to go r- express your infrastructure in code, so declaratively, uh, you need to think really hard about what. Uh, how hard that's going to be and the mind shift that that involves right Um, so that's my one on advanced practices and then an eighth one but I lied to you it's not a myth
1: oh let's just go there
2: okay so number eight is uh, about real value And the real value of the cloud, uh, I would like to challenge, uh, you know, you hear all the time that it's cost savings, but it's actually this concept of opportunity cost that you've regained. And I told you the story about Lender Gateway, that application we built to help the PPP program, but um, your ability to do things that you couldn't have done before Uh, is really what you're gaining and and that alacrity that Chris talked about, that speed to deliver on mission, uh, that you know, if if you had to go through a 90 day procurement process and that's a fast one in our world. I was
1: gonna say, who does that? uh,
2: (laughs) Yeah, if you have to go through a 90 day procurement process to buy servers uh, and your program is 90 days long, uh, you're in big trouble, right? And it's not, I'm not making up these sorts of deadlines based off of the last couple of years, where Congress has literally passed a law and said, hey, uh, dear federal agency, you will do this by this date, uh, right? And then OMB is like, you know, beating you over the head to, to do that thing. Uh, if your procurement time cycle doesn't support that, um, because you have to go by servers, that's a call
1: mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a really good one. And one of the things that, uh, and I know we're tying up uh, here, Chris, but you know, that's one of the things like whenever we get asked to put together any like return on investment and, you know, like all of those wonderful briefs that we all love to do, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a really hard one to, uh, I feel like needs 10 times more focus than just the doing a cost comparison of the different clouds and what it's going to cost us to host it where it's the, the return and in, in how you just scoped it is where the real value is with the processes that the government has to use to get things through. Like, that's how we need to be looking at it because that is going to be the game changer on this one. It's my favorite new term to use, so, game changer. Well,
0: and, and I think it kind of goes to some of what, um, you know, we talked about already, right, is
1: yep.
0: is how do you, you know, how do you take all the other myths, um, work work through them, right, to, to get to this? Because it, 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 it does seem to be that you actually want to jump to real value without going through all the other pieces. And so, how do you, you know, how do you step back? And again, I think that is the problem because I think right now everything's about, you know, it's about speed. I think you talked about it's, You know, it's the fervor and the excitement of, oh, we're going to the cloud. And uh, you know, I think that does, uh, you know, turn itself into a bit of a challenge uh, when you know you, you're you're really trying to understand. Um, uh, the, the real value, right? And so I think that the ability to, to step back as you're getting ready to make those kind of changes. And these are things that, you know, a lot of the different working groups at ATARC have talked about is, you know, really kind of working through that, you know, that understanding of what is it that you're trying to do? I mean, you know, the whole customer experience conversation we had with Charlie, right? It's like, okay, th- there's there's a lot of pieces and that's one of them that you need to be thinking about from an overarching program standpoint not just the not just the little individual piece but from the overarching program what is that customer experience that you're trying to right and those need to tie into the real value piece so well we uh we did rush through the uh the the last couple i think uh, they could have been uh, all of these could have been their own show um so maybe <laughs> you know maybe that's uh, uh that's uh something to think about but um You know, Ryan, thank you very much for uh, for taking the time. It was uh, awesome uh, chatting with you. Everybody on um, that attended, thank you. uh, um, Oops, I think we got uh, a question here. Let's let's, uh, give one last question in. Um, the uh, The question here is, what types of things do you look for in types of partner companies? I I mean, I think uh, think. You know, I don't know that we can answer that in a, in a minute. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think uh, some of uh, some of what's been discussed is you know, um, maybe not just bring straight technology, but bring thoughts and ideas around uh, around the different pieces. But Ryan, I'll let you you finish that one up.
2: I, I actually I'm so uh, I'm going to be ambitious here and say I can answer this in a minute. So uh, I think it I think it's two things. I think one, it's proof of work. So. Uh, not, uh, you know, uh, I'll say something dodgy, Chris, uh, you know, you, uh, get this out if I don't, like I would much rather see proof of work on the internet as opposed to as past performance, right? Yep. So like, uh, and then the second thing is how good are they at hiring? So, uh, you know, I, I call it the, I call it the, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say this. Okay. How good are they at hiring? I was going to say something else, um, but I, I'll leave that there and people can email me. But the, um, how good are they at hiring? Because the reality is most federal contractors, partners, uh, when they win a contract, they're going out and hiring. And this is particularly true in the small business world, which is my world. And I, I want everyone here, to use our programs, go, go use a small business. If you're buying cloud, why aren't you buying cloud with a value-added reseller, a small business, right? Like, go go do that. But but the question you should ask when you're hiring a partner is um, how good are they actually at hiring staff members? Um, do they have a strong sense of culture? Do they have a, a, what is their company, what is working at their company look like on their page? Um, or does it look like their page was built in like the geo, you know, their web page, their corporate webpage was built in like the geo cities angel fire. Uh, right. Uh, Cause that's like a straight up test. Like, Oh, this, this company, I know what kind of company this is. Um, they have a garbage corporate website. Um, so anyway, uh, those two things, I think, how good are they at hiring? And then do they have proof of work?
0: Perfect. Well, we are, uh, we are at time. Uh, if I could uh, get uh, Terry Lee and uh, Ryan, if I get a little uh, smile for, uh, <laughs> uh, for the uh, web page. There we go. And uh, thank you, everybody. Our next uh, event is January 6th. Ryan, this was fantastic. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, Terry Lee, as always, thank you very much. And, thank you uh, for having me.
1: Everybody next time. All right. Thanks. Thank you.